one of my uh, absolute pivotal childhood movies growing up was a movie called The Sandlot. Anybody seen that movie? It's, I'm kind of dating myself probably a little bit. But this was a pivotal movie for my childhood. It was about a bunch of neighborhood kids getting together to play baseball in the sandlot in the back of the neighborhood. And they would show up and gather together and they would play the uh, baseball together all summer long because there's no school. And so there's a new kid to the neighborhood. His name is Smalls. And Smalls is, is an absolute noob. He knows nothing about baseball. He knows nothing about baseball history. But his dad is a huge fan, so he gets kind of involved in the neighborhood posse, trying to go out and make friends, and he starts playing baseball with, like, the neighborhood kid gang, right? So basically, the issue with the Sandlot is whenever they're playing baseball, they hit a pop fly, they hit a home run, and the ball goes into the behind the fence, well, that ball is history, because there is a gigantic gorilla-sized man-eating dog that lives in that backyard. And if the ball goes over the fence, there's no way of retrieving it again because you will get, be consumed by this dog, which the kids have named the Beast. Okay? And so they have run out of baseballs. They've hit too many home runs. And Small says, guys, I got a baseball at home. It's in my dad's trophy case. He goes home, grabs this baseball with a name on it when the name is Babe Ruth. Takes this baseball signed by Babe Ruth and they play baseball with it. And Smalls, what do you know it? He hits a home run. They're cheering for him. They're celebrating. And he's like, oh, no. I lost my dad's baseball. This is a problem. And they're like, well, we'll just get him a new one. It's just a baseball. It's fine. He's like, no. And then, so we've got a clip here. I want you to show you. This is the reaction of all the kids when they discover that this ball is signed by Babe Ruth. The beast got it. You're dead as a doornail, Smalls. You're dead as a doornail, Smalls. Smalls. You mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth, and you brought it out here and actually played with it? And actually played with it? Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to bring it back. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep telling me that. Who is she? What? What? The Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Yeah, that's the Sandlot. I love it. And as the movie continues on, thank you, Marshall. Y'all give Marshall a hand. That took us quite a while to figure out. So Smalls does not realize what he has. He doesn't understand the value of the thing. And he creates this huge blunder, and as the movie continues, as all the ridiculous ways they try to retrieve this baseball from the clutches of the beast without getting their heads eaten. Tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we're talking about a group of disciples that are walking along what's called the Emmaus Road. They're walking towards Emmaus together, and this is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and this is the very end of the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is showing up and appearing to all sorts of 
the, of the different disciples from time to time. And this is basically all of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And so as we read, you're going to find out what is happening with the disciples and with Jesus as he approaches. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened these past few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's pray. Jesus, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears to receive from you? And everybody in the house said, Amen. I wonder if you knew this. Did you know that Jesus was a troll? Did you know that? These guys are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus approaches knowing that they're not going to recognize him, and they're going, there's, there's, he's like, What's, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, all these things, have you not heard what has happened? And Jesus, whom they're speaking about, <laughs> looks at them and says, huh, what things? What things happened these past three days? As if Jesus didn't know all of those things happened to him. <laughs> so Jesus clearly, with a sense of humor, is trolling his disciples and picking on them because of the silliness of the fact that the disciples, as they walked next to Jesus, they did not realize what they had. They did not realize who it was they were walking with. They missed the point of what Jesus had been speaking to them while they had their ministry. And even more so, Jesus says, you have totally missed it, you foolish people. He says, you find it so hard to believe what the prophets have spoken. You see, guys, the disciples had the word of God. They had the scriptures, but even though they had the words of the prophets, even though they had all of the scriptures written in the text, they failed to understand what they had. Are you following me tonight? They didn't know what they had. It's like holding Babe's Ruth, Babe Ruth's baseball in their very own hand and not realizing of its magnificent value. They didn't know what they had. 
And I find there are many examples of this in our lives, and there's many examples of this even in Chi Alpha. Now, I have to tell you, I absolutely love the beginning of the school year. And I know this school year has been completely upside down and different. But some of you have just joined small group or you have been just now getting involved in small group. Now, I love seeing small groups when they form for the very first time because you never really know how it's going to turn out. You never know the incredible stories and the incredible friendships that are going to take place. There, there's, there's just, you never, don't ever despise small beginnings. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. I got a picture. There's a small group. This is Maggie's girls and Dulce. And, and so this, this is like a beautiful beginning. This is right when they basically first became friends. They became a small group. Now, many of you who are maybe in a small group for a year or maybe you're just getting involved in small group or whatever it might be, look, you're in small group right now and it might be new and fresh and fun, but let me tell you something. You don't yet know what you have. You don't know what you have yet. Because what we see in Chi Alpha, when we take this thing, fellowship, seriously, incredible, beautiful things happen in small group. And, and the sky is the limit. Because when you get involved in fellowship with your brothers and your sisters, and you get closer to Jesus... Those acquaintances become friends, and then soon after that, those friends become sisters, like this picture up here. Those friends become close friends, and then sooner or later, before long, you're now a family. So let's go to the next slide, because you'll see the story of these girls is incredible, because these aren't just pals, you see. These are sisters, these women have a deep, unselfish, godly love for one another. And because of that unselfish choosing for each other's highest good and going on this adventure called small group and life together, this is the potential of where you can end up. They're all bridesmaids in each other's weddings. I was there. I officiated the dang thing. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to see when friends become siblings under the relationship they have with Jesus and with each other. Now, you see the, the beautiful, that's the, that's the future. You see, that's like what can end up happening. Your small group could actually be your best friends that stand there with you on your wedding day. I mean, if you might be sitting there, you don't believe it. We've officiated like almost seven or eight weddings where it's happened in Chi Alpha over and over again, right? Many of you are probably even there. But it's beautiful to see. But here's the thing. You don't get to picture number two just quickly. You see, the distance between picture number one and picture number two, that's a journey. There's pain and there's suffering in between those pictures. You don't get to become best friends without fighting for it. And my, my friends, I want you to hear me tonight. Fellowship with believers and fellowship with God is something to be fought for. There are some small groups that have quite a lot of drama in them. <laughs> That's just what happens. <laughs> but you know what? When you stick through it and you stick to the end, you're going to have lots of history. You're going to have incredible stories to tell. And the goal is, in your fellowship and in your small group, is when you end up closer to Jesus at the end of that road, all of it was worth it. 
I'm telling you, it's a vision that you don't want to throw away. And I'm telling you, many of us right here, we don't, you don't know yet what you have, but I'm telling you, you have something beautiful that could be. You have unbelievable, untapped potential in your small group. And I want you to really write that down if you can. There is value in untapped potential. There's value in untapped potential. But what we have to have is the eyes to see it, to see the incredible potential that can happen. One very serious issue in our culture today is particularly in this issue of untapped potential. The church of Jesus Christ, for the most part, has always stood against the issue of abortion. The church of Jesus Christ has always historically has stood against this issue of abortion, the, the value of of the child that is inside the womb. Now, if you've ever heard the arguments before, the arguments are, it's not a baby inside the, the mother's womb, it's just a clump of cells. Now, factually speaking, that's not incorrect. Technically, we all are a clump of cells. The argument is what clump of cells have value and what other clump of cells do not have value. You see what I'm saying? And if we're just a clump of cells and you can kill a clump of cells inside the womb with no problem, then really you can kill these clump of cells here. There's no difference. You see, we're just matter. We're just material. We're just flesh is the argument that you hear nowadays. But you see, here's the thing about this that we have to understand as believers today is that that baby, that child inside the womb is untapped, unlimited potential. You see what I'm saying? It is... It's a clump of cells that has potential to be something wonderful for Jesus. You see? You hear what I'm saying tonight? It has value because of the value that God has given and put and placed on it. There's unlimited potential. Did you know that interrupting great potential is a sin? It absolutely is. Interrupting incredible, unlimited potential, particularly potential that God has lined up, that is sin. And you dare not violate and you dare not destroy something that God has a purpose for. You see, this is so very important for us to understand. We must never get in the way of what God has in store and what he deems as something that's valuable and then has great potential. We must never get in the way of that. I met a man on a mission trip in Mexico many years ago. This was an 82-year-old guy, and he was a wonderful gentleman and a wonderful man of God who loved preaching the gospel. His name was Woody, and he would tell stories. I just loved sitting down and just listening to Woody's stories. This man had shaken the hands of three different presidents of the United States at different times in his life. He had an absolutely crazy life. And you know what he told me? Something I will never forget. Woody sat me down and he said, Dan, you know what I found out this year, my, after my 82nd birthday, I discovered that I was a product of a rape. At 82 years old, he found out that he was the product of a rape, a terrible, terrible sin and crime that was committed on his mother. He was born, now get this, wrap your mind around this, 82 years old, he just found out that his mother that raised him biologically was actually his aunt. Wouldn't that be crazy 
to discover. I mean, that would be crazy to discover when you're 12 or 13 years old. But at 82, and Woody looked me in the eyes and said, Daniel, this is the thing. I have lived a beautiful life, and God has given me an incredible, beautiful life. And my mother could have aborted me, and she was tempted to. But instead, she gave me to her sister who raised me and gave me the life that I had. And if he'd have been aborted, if that great potential would have been aborted, he never would have lived. He never would have had a chance. Do you see how God can take a catastrophe and turn it into something majestic and beautiful and precious? But you see, we have to have the eyes to see it. We have to know, we got we to gotta know what we have, you see. Are y'all with me tonight? Abraham, the Lord approaches. Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abraham's going, what? <laughs> what do you mean? My wife and I are old. We can't have kids. What do you mean we're gonna, you're going to make a great nation out of me? And the Lord says, trust me, go to a land I will show you. He says, Abraham, look up at the sky. Look at the stars. Do you see those stars? Your descendants will outnumber those stars in the sky. Look, Abraham, look at the ground. Look at the sand and the earth. You see all the sand? Your descendants will outnumber the sands, the grains of sand on the earth. What? You see, Abraham didn't know what he had. He started this incredible journey with God. He didn't know what he had, but God had a plan. You see, he had potential on his life. God had a plan for Abraham, and as long as Abraham was obedient, that plan was going to come to pass. You follow me? Ask Abraham. Another story. Jesus and his disciples are traveling in, the, in a boat. They're going to cross over the lake, and a storm comes. You know the story. A storm starts tossing the boat right and left. Jesus is being an, an absolute troll, and he's asleep in the boat. <laughs> he's not even awake. He's asleep, and the boat is tossing and turning, and his disciples are scared for their lives, and they're freaking out. And in Mark chapter 4, it says the disciples were absolutely terrified. Now, you know the story of what happened. They wake Jesus up, and they say, Jesus, do you not care that we drown? And Jesus is going, guys, you have little faith. And Jesus stands up and it says that he rebuked the winds and the waves. Now that rebuke is not this, you know, the, some English translation says, calm, be still. Like this little soft, gentle, that was not what Jesus said. The actual Greek that he said that's translated in scriptures is that he rebukes, and it's this be muzzled word. It's a word that means be muzzled. And it's when you, you strap a muzzle on a rabid dog to get it to shut up. That's what Jesus did to the wind and the waves. Okay, that's pretty crazy. He shuts up the wind and the waves. The waves are beaten into submission, and the winds are calmed. Now, you understand when you're a disciple in the boat and you're, you're a fisherman and you're scared to death of dying because of the weather. And then you see a man who kills the weather with a word. Who are you going to be more afraid of after that, the weather or the man? You see what I'm saying? You see, before Jesus calms the storm, you don't really know. You don't know what you have. You don't know who's with you. You don't know what you're dealing with. But then after Jesus calms the storm, you get a little bit of better idea of what you got. You got a little bit better idea of who's in your boat. You see, before Jesus calms the storm in your life, you, you probably don't know what you have. You, you haven't trusted him yet through some things. You see what I'm saying? But 
after Jesus calms a storm in your life, you get a much better idea of the potential. See, come on, are you with me? This, this means yes, this means no. I'm, I'm getting nods, okay? Jesus has unlimited potential on your life. He can turn you into something beautiful. He can turn you into something dangerous to the devil if we would just let him and if we understand what we've got. You see, here's the thing. You stare at Jesus in the boat. That ought to be enough. You're in the boat of life with Jesus, and you see him asleep in the boat. You see, if you know what you have, seeing Jesus calm and not freaking out ought to have given you courage. But you see, when you see Jesus asleep in the boat, and you're still freaked out that you're going to die, guess what? You still don't know what you have. Are you with me? Guys, how many times have we gone to the Lord to get encouragement or to get courage, but you don't feel encouraged? Have you ever gone to the Lord Jesus for a problem, and you're really wrestling, and you're praying, you're looking for a solution, but you get up off of your prayer closet, you get up off the floor, and you still are scared? You still are worried? I submit to you, maybe the problem, you don't know what you have. You still don't know what Jesus' great potential is over your life. You see, when you see Jesus in the boat and you see that he's not freaking out, you know what you have. You know what he's capable of. You know what he can do. You follow me? So when you see Jesus and you cry out to him in your life and the storm is raging in your life and you see him and you're still not encouraged, you probably don't know what you have yet. You see, Jesus is in your life, but you still don't know what you got. Are you, are you with me? We got to know what we have, guys. We got to know what we have. Certainty, I want you to write this down. Certainty equals properly articulated potential. Certainty is properly articulated potential. I want you to think about this. When your storms of life are raging and you see Jesus in your boat, do you take the time to properly articulate the potential of what could possibly happen? Or do you just stop dead in your mind and just assume everything's supposed to be bad? Right? Are you with me? This is, let, let me give you an example. Jesus, my family are not Christians. They're unsaved and they don't know you. And to me, Lord, it seems like it's impossible, like they'll never know you. But... Jesus, I know what you are capable of, and I know you, Jesus, can do the impossible, and you, Jesus, can save and reach my family. I know it, and I'm standing on it. Guys, that's called certainty. You don't, that doesn't mean you know the future. It means you're properly articulating in your heart what Jesus is capable of. That's what I mean. We all the time want certainty for our lives, and we want to know. We want to know that we're saved. We want to know that we know that we know. But many of us here are never going to know because we fail to properly articulate what Jesus is actually capable of. We fail to implement who he is in his character and nature and put that into our life. If he's in your boat and you're still freaking out, maybe you still don't know what you have. Now, those are some examples of things where people didn't know what they have. Let's go into the reverse here. Let's figure out and see some examples of people that did know what they had. Jesus, in an incredible parable that we, re that we usually preach on this every year, and I love this parable, particularly because it's only one verse long. It's really short. It's awesome. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, Guys, gather around. I added that. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's the whole parable. What is Jesus explaining? He's saying the kingdom of heaven is actually like this. There is a treasure that's hidden in the field, and the man saw the great potential and the great value of that field. You see, the man knew what he had. He knew what was there. He knew the value. He knew that it was worth everything. So he runs home, honey, sell the car, sell the house, sell the kids. No, keep the kids. Don't sell it. Get, get everything out. Sell everything. We've got to purchase this field because why? The man knew what he had. He knew what was there in that field, and he purchased everything. Now, the analogy in the Scripture is this. Jesus is saying, guys, this is what the Father is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is actually like. There's a treasure in the field. When the Father looked down and saw the creation that he loved, he saw you. He saw your family. He saw your siblings. And he saw the great value and the potential in that treasure. And God himself gave everything. He gave up everything. He even endured a cross so that he could purchase that field and have that completion and friendship and ownership and love and trust in relationship with him, with you, and with me. God saw the value of the field and he gave everything so that you could be friends with him again. What Jesus is teaching us is this, is that the value of the thing is what obligates. Some of you are like, bro, what did you just say to me? What he's teaching is that it's the value of the thing that obligates. If I've got like two pencils in my hand right now, and I'm like, okay, here, here's a pencil, and uh, it's, you know, a pencil. And then over here, I've got another pencil, except it's a billion dollars. What are you going to choose? Because you have a brain, you're going to choose the one. Why? Because it's the value of the thing that obligates. It's knowing the value of the thing that gets you out of your chair and gets you moving again. You see what I'm saying? So what it is, it's not a problem of what, what God is capable of doing. The problem is, is that we have to understand the intrinsic value in God which obligates. If Jesus is the most valuable thing in your entire life, then choosing him ought to be the easiest of things. And so if we have trouble choosing Jesus, you see, we've got something wrong in our hearts that misplaces value. We don't actually believe that Jesus is the most valuable thing in the universe because it's the value of the thing that obligates. If his value in your heart is the highest thing in your life, that's what you're going to choose every time. Another story. My father tells me an incredible story where before I was born, I was not in any way in existence. My father was going through a very challenging, difficult time in his life. He's driving home from work. Nothing at work is going right. Trouble in the family, trouble at, at the job, trouble at church. There's all sorts of stuff, and he's, he's like, they're not really active in church at this moment in their life just because of the stress and things like that. And he's stressed out. He's driving home from work. He's in his truck. He's on the highway. He's going home, and he's just saying, Lord, Something's got to give. So I need something. Something's got to change in my life. He's just got that turmoil in his heart. And the way my dad tells the story, what happened is this. is like 
if you could have the volume knob on your ears and turn all the volume of the world down, he said all of a sudden the, the, the sound of the wind on the windshield, the sound of the highway passing by, the sound of the cars driving past him, all of a sudden it's like someone turned the volume in his ears all the way down to his absolute silence. He's driving home, and all of a sudden his, his volume in his head and his ears, he heard nothing, just that ring of silence. And in that stillness and in that silence, he hears an audible voice. True story. He hears an audible voice that says, keep the faith. And then all of a sudden, the volume turned right back up to normal. He heard the audible voice of God driving home one day on, the, on a random day, on a random month and a random week. He heard a voice in his truck while driving home, guess what happened? He absolutely freaked out. <laughs> he freaked out, and, and, and after that, his life was completely changed. Because, you see, there's this realization he actually finally knew what he had, you see. He knew what he had in his heart the whole time. He, 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 there's that revelation. Check, 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 check. Thank you. I'll move to the yellow one because the batteries on that one died. Are you all with me? My father hears the audible voice of God's absolutely crazy, and his life changes because he realizes actually in that moment what he had. You see, whenever you hear God speak to you, you get a little bit of an understanding of who you've got in your life. You, you, got, you start to realize what you have, you see? Now, here's my question to you. I want all of you to put yourselves in my dad's position. What would you do in that moment? This is very, very critical, very important for us to understand this, that when you're sitting in that, and that happens, you hear God's voice. Because some of us, look, I, I, when he told me that story, the first thing on my mind was, man, God never does that to me. I want to hear God's voice. What's the deal, God? What's, well, come on, man. Like I, I was like, what, what, what gives, you know? Now, here's the thing. I think the Lord speaks to people in a certain way when, when he knows how they're going to listen. And he knows actually the, what they're going to do after that thing happens. That's very important. Because many of us, especially me, if I was in that situation, you know what would happen? I would freak out. It would be incredible. It would be an awesome experience. But I would probably have failed to keep asking the questions that needed to be asked. If you were in that situation and you, you had an absolute miracle like that happen to you, would you just be satisfied with that one thing or would you keep articulating the potential of what God is trying to do? You see, certainty is properly articulating potential. You see, would you start asking questions like this? Has God been wanting to speak to me like this the whole time? You see, that's a good question. If I were closer to God, would he speak to me like this more? That's another good question. What about this? If, if we continue communicating this intimately, what kind of incredible things are possible in my life? You see, it's, the, it's all, most of the time the follow-up question is what changes your life. It's those follow-up questions because why? You're articulating the potential. And we can't just be brain dead 
and have a prayer life with God where we're not articulating what Jesus could actually do, what he could actually accomplish in your life. Old Testament story is a man named Josiah. Wonderful story in the Old Testament. What happens with Josiah? He's a random king in Israel who decided to be godly. <laughs> He's, he finds out one of his servants discovers the law of God. The, they lost the Bible for hundreds of years. They lost the scriptures. That's a problem, right? And, these, and so all of a sudden, the dude discovers the scriptures, and they read the ancient scrolls to King Josiah, and he goes, what? <laughs> like that kid on the, on the movie. What? We had this the whole time? And he's losing his mind. And the Bible says he tears his clothes. Then he goes on an idol-killing rampage all across Israel. He takes all the false idols and burns them and smashes them. He doesn't just burn them. The Bible says that he smashed them into dust. That's, uh, that's like an anger problem put to good use. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Josiah's ticked. He's ticked that we've been worshiping false gods. We got to fix this now. We've been worshiping wrong gods. The God that has created the universe wants to be our friend again. And Josiah gets things fixed and gets things straight. Why? Because he realized what he had. He realized he opened these scriptures. He realized what he had. He realized what he, who he was dealing with. And in the exact same way, these boys walking down the road to Emmaus have Jesus walking with them. And what does he do? He opens up the scriptures. And Jesus starts painting the pictures. Guys, you see those Old Testament passages? Those are actually about me. Jesus says, so you see Josiah? You see that story in the Old Testament? You see, that's actually about me. Look, you see Esther? You see that? You ever read that book? That's actually pointing at me. And Jesus, this Bible says, unfolds the scriptures before their very eyes. And for one moment in their life, they realize what they had. They realize the value of what they had. And they said right there, did our hearts not burn from within us when he was unfolding the scriptures to us as we walked? Guys, could you even imagine the incredible Look, to be a fly on the wall in this moment, to listen to Jesus unfold the scriptures, it would be absolutely unlike anything else. To hear Jesus explain all of the scriptures. You see, when you realize who he is, you also realize what he can do and what he's already done. We have to realize who God is. And 1 John chapter 4 probably says it best when it says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Other translations say it this way, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. It's the power of God and the potential with you and him together in close relationship. These boys are walking along the road and Jesus unfolds the scriptures to them. And they freak out, and they start asking themselves questions. Didn't our hearts not burn from within us? I'd like to close with this quotation from Tim Keller. Because this man, I love Tim Keller a lot. And he basically takes this passage and, and kind of writes out what it would be like to hear 
Jesus explain Old Testament, because guys, every single road in the Bible leads to Jesus. Every road in the Bible leads to Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God. Every verse, every character in the Old Testament are just light bulbs flickering into the life of Jesus so that we can see Jesus more clearly. And Tim Keller, if you just listen carefully as I read this, this is taken from a sermon and or from a Tim Keller passage, and I think it will really explain what we are talking about tonight. Tim Keller says this, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Adam who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you do not withhold your son, your only son whom you love for me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us, God, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you've loved from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and who took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only received the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job who truly innocent, who, who truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, and who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out of the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, help, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true light, the true bread. You see, when you read through the scriptures, guys, it's not really about us. It's about him. You see, when you realize, guys, what you have, it's not a matter of realizing what your potential in God is. It's realizing God's potential through you. That's when you truly realize what you've got. Let's stand tonight.